Great to be with y'all for the second time this morning. Um, as Alex was introducing me, I'm Pastor Ramon Belagamba. I'm um, lead planter on a new work, gospel work in the city um, called Christ City Fellowship. Uh, we're growing a family of diverse people in the way of Jesus for East Charlotte. Uh, next month begins something really big for us. We're taking a leap, um, our Sunday afternoon gatherings. Um, September 10th, we'll um, be starting in Plaza Midwood, so we move into a public space so we can further grow our team. Um, I'm grateful for the gospel partnership of Hope Community Church, being one of our ministry partners um, in our work. And your campus pastor is a dear friend, uh, Pastor Aaron. We go back to his first year in seminary uh, when he joined us at RTS, so I count it a privilege to be able to preach for him today as well as preach with Pastor Mark. Um, so I want you all to open up your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be in Hebrews, or you can look at your bulletin as well. You can look at, uh, we're going to be in Hebrews 12 this morning, um, verses 18 to 24. Also, I'll let y'all know, y'all can say amen, y'all can say ouch, y'all can talk back to me. Uh, I, I put that out there because someone last service was like, man, I was going to really say amen, but it was so quiet I didn't want to be embarrassed. <laughs> So you can say amen if you want to. You can say ouch if you want to. Just let y'all know. All right. All right. Let's look at verse, uh, verse 18. Hear the word of the Lord. For you have not come to what could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words. Those who heard it begged that not another word be spoken to them. For they could not bear what was commanded. And if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to those to, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. That was the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this morning, I'm going to preach a, a message that's entitled, Living into the Grace of the Kingdom. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, so grateful to be able to be welcomed in your presence because of the work of your Son, and grateful to be united with your Son by you, Holy Spirit. Oh, triune God, Holy Spirit, um, speak to your people. Um, meet them at their place of need, reveal to them whatever needs to be revealed this morning, and give me the unction to preach and proclaim the excellencies of Christ to the people. I ask for this grace. I pray this all through Jesus Christ our Lord and his mighty and matchless name. Amen. Every August, our city just jumps with excitement. You're probably saying excitement over what? Excitement over the Carolina Panthers. <laughs> Amen. I love it. I love it. We're starting off right. But for the last few years, unfortunately, 
by the end of August, some fans are already writing off another losing season for our home team. Boo. All it took was a few preseason games to come to that conclusion. I don't feel that way. Let's go, Bryce Young. But refusing not to watch or attend games this season, a diehard fan is thinking, because they don't want the misery of watching their favorite team lose. But the story of our lives is that we often go back on what we say we're going to do. It is this faltering condition because of sin and brokenness we all suffer from which leads to our inconsistency and in what we embody. Ultimately, our inconsistency also usually lies in our loves. A diehard fan of the Panthers, even if he says he will not watch or attend a game, will ultimately return to watching because of worship of his favorite team. And idols, they call for our allegiance, no questions asked. And can have us departing from grace, leaving us back in a place we don't desire. That is why our text this morning is so important for us to understand. As the title of this series for you all says, you want to be free to flourish. But our challenge is our hearts often betray us. For the original audience of our text this morning, they dealt with two things, hostile persecution and hardship. They had to fight the temptation to return to the old covenant way of living, just to not have to face the marginalization that they experienced in their Jewish communities and in their families, all because they decided to follow Jesus the Christ. See, we here in Charlotte in the United States period don't face the same persecution and hardship. For us, our greatest threat to our discipleship to Jesus is the seduction of our idols. We have so many idols competing for the throne of our hearts, seeking to keep Christ off the throne of our hearts and not to have him as the supreme object of our affection. When the balanced scale of affection is tilted towards our idols, it can lead us back to living under the law rather than living into grace. Life is always lifing. So why would we choose to live under heavy burdens when Christ's yoke is so light? That is what the author of Hebrews is pointing this flock into us today, that we must live as heavenly citizens today to not live contrary to our heavenly position in the kingdom today, back relying on the 10 words for our righteousness before God, or living conformed to the spirit of the age under the law of its idols. But our text this morning reminds us our central idea for our time, that God calls us to live into the grace of his kingdom only. That God calls us to live into the grace of his kingdom only. So throughout your series through the 10 words this summer, you have learned that for us in Christ, that the law has become a means of grace. 
the 10 words are encouraging words to live by. But our text starts by remembering how it looked to the nation of Israel before the time of Christ. But let's start with a few words to to give us a little context. This letter to the Hebrews is a constant urging to a Jewish Christian audience. Don't go back. Don't go back to your former way of living because the old covenant, it isn't it. So all the offerings and the feast and the tabernacles and priesthood were all used to show to the better way of Jesus. They were all shadows and types to point to Jesus. And the author all throughout was literally saying, don't abandon your faith in Jesus. And now we join the story in progress with a final urging underway as our author begins this section with reminders of living under the law of Mount Sinai. So we tackle this in verses 18 to 21 of our text this morning. And it doesn't take much as we read this to realize the dominant emotion that the author is seeking to express is one of fear. With the words mentioned, we get an idea of the immeasurable power of God manifest on the earth. See, this is the scene that is being set describing where the Ten Commandments were given to the Israelites at Mount Sinai. And they entered into a covenant as a, as a nation with God. Here we see the response of the Israelites to our mighty God, and we get, the, we get a picture of the holiness of God. The voice of God troubled them, and they weren't shy at being, letting it be known. They were real loose with their lips, as you would say. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 25 to 27. But now, why should we die? This great fire will consume us, and we will die if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer. For who out of all of humanity has heard the voice of the living God speak from the fire as we have and lived? Go near and listen to everything the Lord our God says. Then you can tell us everything the Lord, our God, the Lord God tells you. We will listen and obey. So if you've spent any amount of time in the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, we know that for Israel, obedience wasn't their thing. We realize that under the old covenant, God's holiness and majesty were emphasized by those natural signs which accompanied his presence that is mentioned in the first two verses. See, frequently in the Old Testament, we also see there was an infinite distance between God, human beings, and animals. This all along with the overwhelming divine voice was played up for the reason of warning and contrast through this section of the letter. The writer was clearly saying to his audience, is this how you want to live? Do you want to know God in this manner and reject his grace and knowing him intimately? Returning to old covenant practices for the Jewish Christians was a return to Mount Sinai and to slavish living. He was making it clear, choosing to go back to the old way of life for relief 
was actually a way back to bondage, a life of fearful living and distance from God. This bears similarity to the words of Apostle Paul in his letter to the Galatians. He was appealing to them. Why do you who have tasted the gospel want to return to relying back on the law for your salvation? Paul chose to explain using a figurative comparison with Hagar and Sarah in Galatians 4, verses 24 through 26. These things are being taken figuratively, for the woman represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Even though the reason behind Paul's teaching was to combat false teachers in the Galatian church, what his figurative comparison had in common with our text in Hebrews this morning was the warning not to live back near Mount Sinai. Because now you are a new creation in Christ. You belong to the new age. So why are you going to return back to the old age? That is what he's trying to explain to him. And throughout scripture, we see this Returning to this pattern of returning to our past and choosing other idols rather than staying faithful to God. We see this pattern over and over. And even after deliverance from Egypt and the slavery that we see in the Exodus, we quickly see in the wilderness a heart of discontentment. That is the posture of the hearts of the Israelites. What did they do? They coveted. They were grumbling and complaining and longing to go back to Egypt. Thinking like, ah, that grass is greener over there. I want to go back. But the sad reality is one can never be free to flourish if they return to relying on the law. That is why we must address the reality that we aren't immune from sin and that we can still choose to live under the law of Mount Sinai. Okay, about to dig in, y'all. So looking at our text this morning, and, and after going over the Ten Commandments all summer, you might tell yourself that legalism to the law, that, that's not my struggle. I don't come off as smug, self-righteous, or think that I'm superior to any other Christians. We also can say we are not on the opposite extreme either, that we do not seek to obey the instruction from God at all, living lives by our own ever-changing moral standards and then insisting we aren't even meeting them. I think most of us would say we believe that we are pretty gospel-centered and nowhere near Mount Sinai. But then I would say we must be introspective. We must examine ourselves quite frequently. As repentance in some areas of our lives 
has to be present for us to be growing more into the image of the Son. Like our, our gospel change needs to be progressive. That vulnerability and honesty are definitely needed in our discipleship to Jesus for us to grow in Christ's likeness and to be free to flourish. Living by the 10 words. That's the only way. See, flourishing in our age in the West is seen as the um, accumulating, accumulation of good feelings, good experiences, and good material possessions. This is seen as something that can only be done through living out one's authentic self without the presence of God. Living for the sake of one's wants and freedom is seen as living without restraint. That's freedom. What the world sees as freedom is nothing more than living under slavery to the law. As their norms for living don't produce the fruit that it promises to humanity. More and more, people around us are waking up to the idea that secularism as a system of salvation, it just don't work. They are spirit, our neighbors are spiritually curious, and many times they're looking for alternative ways of salvation, that they're not looking to the Christian church. They're not looking to Christians. This is the culture that we inhabit, and that shapes us. It can have us living under the rules of the culture and see our living up to those standards as a sense of righteousness. It literally can have us living back under the law again at Mount Sinai, and we don't even realize it. That in some way we are hustling for worthiness and building up enoughness to meet those burdensome standards putting ourselves back on the balance scale of affection to our idols. I don't know about y'all, but this is exhausting for our souls, and it leaves us so weary. And the and application question that we need to ask ourselves, where am I placing my faith? In Hebrews, the author was urging his audience not to abandon Jesus altogether and return to the old covenant works as the basis of their faith and salvation. That is how they were potentially returning to Mount Sinai. But there are other ways. And I want to give you all this key thought to take home today. If you'll take nothing else away to let you know how we may be drifting back to Mount Sinai in our discipleship. And this formula goes like this. Jesus plus identity or action equals our significance, worth, or happiness. That we're drifting of Jesus plus identity or action is our significance, worth, or happiness. So Apostle Paul had to check the Galatians because opponents were saying Jesus plus circumcision was the way. But I ultimately feel the one we really must examine ourselves for is Jesus plus identity. A sense of identity could be shaped by a righteousness other than Christ alone, such as, what about career righteousness? I'm such a hard worker. 
so God will reward me. I've made all the right choices and sacrifices in my education and career where others haven't. So I deserve what I have. Or maybe we're suffering from relationship righteousness. I've done all the things that a good spouse should do. A good girlfriend, boyfriend. So I better be treated right. Because I do the right things as a parent, I'm more godly than those parents who can't control their kids. Or maybe we're struggling with intellectual righteousness. I'm better read, I'm more articulate, and more culturally savvy than my peers. So that obviously makes me superior. Or it could be I have better degrees and qualifications on my affluence. What about theological righteousness? I have good theology. I got proper doctrine. And God prefers me over those who have bad theology, even if they're down the street. Or I attend one of those hip churches in the city, and I'm not like the rest of those Christians around here. Or maybe it's just that we're struggling with grace righteousness, that I don't get hung up about drinking and smoking the way that the legalistic fundamentalist Christians do. They're so immature. It's when we don't live up to these self-made standards of righteousness that we can beat ourselves up. But we also must not beat ourselves up too badly when we fail to live up to what God has commanded that y'all been learning about all summer. It's a delicate balance. We must learn to navigate with humility and dependence on the Holy Spirit. The grace is we don't have to lack confidence to approach God when we fail to live up to his commandments and revert back to living under the law. As our text points us to a better way and living into the grace of Mount Zion, which is the second point in your bulletin. So rather than living a life of burden, darkness and dread, living back on Mount Zion, the author is calling his audience and us today to embrace the reality of living as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Through his words, our author gives us a picture of the gathered assembly at Mount Zion. You see the start in verse 22. And it's picture, it communicates celebration, warmth, openness, acceptance, and relationship. The emotional state that this section of our passage wants to express was one of joy. Mount Zion is the place that those who have responded to the good news of the gospel enjoy as a part of the family of God. And these choices, these, uh, these, choices, these verses tell us that this great news that through our union with Christ, all believers have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, that through Christ's ministry, his death, his resurrection and ascension set the new age in motion. And all believers begin to share in the benefits of the new creation. 
This is what the author has been urging Jewish Christians to know and embrace. To return to living back under the law is nothing more than returning back to Mount Sinai. That rather than stay distant and fearful of our God, that now we could draw near and that we can enjoy him as well as the reality of the world to come. That we can enjoy the reality that heaven will come down to earth and there'll be a new heavens and new earth. That living into this reality, the 10 words are a delight for God's people living into the grace of Mount Zion. That a new and better covenant is finally here after it was promised. This is what the prophet Jeremiah spoke about to the kingdom of Judah in exile when he said in Jeremiah 31, verse 33. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. That living into the grace of Mount Zion trades the law of sin and death of Mount Zion for the law of love and life of the kingdom of God. That the instructions of the 10 words are liberating for the Christian. And as citizens of Mount Zion, they show us how to live holy lives while we dwell on earth. That the Ten Commandments are nothing more than encouraging words of hope. Hope that living into grace, lives will be rightly oriented to God and to others. Hope that it will lead to our growth in Christ-likeness. Words of love and life that don't discourage but bring delight. Very much like the psalmist spoke about in Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will, my God, and your instruction is deep within me. The letter to the Hebrews reminds its audience that Christ is better and superior in every way. Jesus is superior to the angels. That's how it begins. Then that letter goes to Jesus is superior to the old covenant and his Sabbath rest. Superior as the great high priest, greater than Melchizedek. And in our text, we see him now as the superior mediator. Jesus shows himself to be the true and better Moses. That the covenant of Mount Zion is greater than Mount Sinai, so why return? Why return? To it, the author makes it clear again, as he has already mentioned it earlier in the letter, in Hebrews 9.15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Beloved, from that truth, let us hear this good news. The thunder of the law has been hushed because Jesus has satisfied it. And we have confirmation of this too 
As we look at the end of our text, verse 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. To better understand this grace received in Christ, we're going to have to know something about Abel. So let's revisit Genesis 4, verses 10 through 11 right quick. Then he said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood you have shed. See, beloved, the blood of Abel cried out to God for justice. And so it reminds us that God upholds his holy standards by bringing judgment. But the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus cries out better things. Christ's sprinkled blood cries out for mercy and it offers forgiveness. It says, I died for them, show them grace. I died for them, show them grace. This is the grace the author of Hebrews told his readers to live into. He is telling them at Mount Zion is where you find that you have been made perfect. You have been made perfect because Christ has redeemed you and changed you. You have gained righteousness and holiness by his grace. That is our heavenly position in Christ. He is saying, why live as you're running back to Sinai where the thunder is loud and the fire represents God's presence? Run instead to Zion, where Christ has enabled us to draw near, live into his love, life, and grace instead. Choose warmth rather than distance. Beloved, today and every day, the option is truly on us in that we can choose to live into the grace of the kingdom. It is my conviction that all this summer through this sermon series y'all have been in, free to flourish, that all of you have been instructed in how to live into the grace of the kingdom. Even though the Ten Commandments given to Moses preceded Christ, it must never be seen apart from the context of grace. That is why it offered God's people then and God's people now a way to live into the grace of the kingdom. Author Carmen Joy Ems articulates this well for us when she says, Israel's laws are the fences within where life can flourish. They, can, they make possible a distinctive way of life so that other nations can see what Yahweh is like and what he expects. The law was never the means by which Israel earned God's favor. The Israelites were saved the same way we are by grace through faith, but their obedience expressed their covenant commitments. See, this hits home for us because we often miss the grace, miss grace because we too often see the 10 words without the glorious context of deliverance that they were birthed out of. It was a gift of grace to those who God had already redeemed. 
And this helps us live into the grace of the kingdom through guiding us to put to death our sin as well as it points to the abundant eternal living while we journey as pilgrims and exiles in a foreign land. This is not our home. We are a new creation people if you are in Christ. We are citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem with our names enrolled in heaven. We have been called out of the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, to live as a holy nation and a royal priesthood wherever we live, learn, work, or play. For us to live into this reality and live into the grace of the kingdom is to know that the gospel must change our hearts. We must be so gripped by the grace of the gospel that our greatest desire in this life is to be with Jesus. That the balanced scale of our affections leans heavily toward Mount Zion. That we could proclaim like Paul that Christ is our all in all as he did in Philippians chapter 3 verses 7 through 9. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Family, because when we major in gospel worship, learning to be with Jesus, that gospel heart change can occur producing natural obedience to the 10 words. A heart not changed by the gospel Trying to live by the Ten Commandments is nothing more than a life of misery and living a cursed existence back at Mount Sinai. Listen to the words of Jen Wilkin explaining this reality. No more external obedience. Obedience that pleases God begins in the heart. Ten words carved in stone at Sinai and powerless to save now carved on our hearts and powerful to transform us. Beloved, as our hearts are changed, we are free to flourish and to live into his grace, to live into the 10 words and freedom because we serve a God who is loving and merciful and gracious. That we don't just remember what all y'all have learned this summer. But I pray that y'all see the beauty in the 10 words, that you hear encouragement from them and choose to order your rhythm and rule of life around them. And I know you will live a blessed life in the kingdom of God if you choose to do that. And I say this with certainty because of the words that open up the book of Psalm. Let's hear Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. 
and he meditates on it day and night. That's good news, y'all. That if y'all meditate on the Lord day and night, y'all will be blessed. But we also must consider the effects of grace on those who are struggling and, and drift, drifting from the faith best on today's text that you know. We have to ask ourselves, are we calling people to grace? Yes, we don't skip Mount Sinai. We have to let people know about the holiness of God and about Mount Sinai. But we also need to let them know about grace. Are we calling people to relationship? Are we calling people to join us at Hope, to see a unified, grace-filled community? Are y'all calling people to that? Are we calling people to joy? Does the gospel bring you joy? Or right now, we're not there. I pray that the 10 words that y'all have been going over this summer, it calls y'all back to joy. We need to see a joy-filled community in South End, and y'all need to be that. Also, our response, we are to live under grace instead of under the law. We resort to living under the law when we allow our idols to rule and control our lives. If we live by grace, we rest in God's purposes, promise, and his promises, and his love for us no matter the circumstances or the outcomes in our lives. And we remember that some things that could, tra that could trap us of the self, our pride, our thoughts of self-autonomy and self-sufficiency, that could cause us to live back under the law. But also idols such as politics, race, sex, career, relationships, and money, they could also cause us to live back under the law. Anytime we add gospel plus an identity or action, we return back to slavery rather than freedom every time. And lastly, remember that the life that, that pleases God is characterized by trust in the Holy Trinity and love for others is the fruit and the result of that faith in the Holy Spirit. It's a reminder for us that Jesus is the better Moses so that we can approach Mount Zion that would spill blood greater than Abel. We can have peace on Mount Zion. And our ascended king, who is our high priest, so we can rest at Mount Zion. So brothers and sisters, let us don't constantly return back to Mount Sinai because of idols and our faltering condition. We must live into the grace of the kingdom of God, that sweet grace, only in our discipleship to Jesus. Let us pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, triune God of heaven and earth. We're grateful that we can approach you and be in your presence and to know a life of celebration and joy and warmth and embrace because you, Father, your love, sending the Son into the world to die in our place, to live a life that we can never live so that the law could be fulfilled and that the 
that we could live into the 10 words of grace and to know the goodness of being in an ever-creasing relationship with you. May that dominate our hearts and we be compelled to live a life of freedom, freedom to flourish. And may Christ be glorified through our lives as we go about this week. We pray this in Christ, through the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I invite you to stand and to